Welcome to Life Talk, a series of thought-provoking podcasts specifically developed to thoroughly enrapture, dynamically expand, and potentially enrich your life by challenging your heart. And now, here's Craig. Welcome to part two of our series on grief and loss. We hope that you find today's podcast as meaningful in your life. Now, if we're willing to work out our grief and loss outside of ourselves and give God space to do great things in our grief and loss, there's some old thoughts and beliefs that we need to adjust a bit. I find that we tend to make God the ultimate feel-good experience. We think God is about rescue and protection because we feel that anything less would be cruel and hardly loving, or so we believe. Our prayer in times of grief and loss is too often that God would take it all away. And when he doesn't take it all away, we presume that he didn't hear us, or he's not invested in us, or maybe he's not even there. Frank Clark wrote, If you can find a path with no obstacles, it probably doesn't lead anywhere. God is not interested in paths that go nowhere. And he doesn't want you walking them. We must step outside of ourselves and our limited lines of sights and our predictable roads and realize that God's intent for our lives and our pain is infinitely more powerful and more profound than simply protection from pain and the eradication of pain. Far more powerful and far more profound. God is massive enough and intentional enough to live right in the middle of our pain and seize pain's attributes for phenomenal growth. So we must replace the notion that God is all about rescue with the far greater truth that he is much more about remarkable growth. In a terribly desperate but terribly profound moment, Jesus said, My prayer is not that you would take them out of this world. Now, we prayed that because God's love was designed to be inserted into the world's pain, to work pain against itself for our good. God's mission is not to take away your pain. His mission and his passion is to take everything that pain is and use it to bring unexpected and unimaginable growth to your life. James seized the idea in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, when he wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God does not live with the insecurities that that demand that he eliminate pain in order to ensure his survival or ours. God is able to handily overpower pain and use pain's energy against pain's intent, seizing the power of pain and bending it to our growth so that we lack nothing. God has the absolute power to change the force, direction, and the nature of pain so that we gain so very much more than simply the elimination of pain. We end up having pain used to our profit in God's pursuit of our perfection. Let me say that again. We end up having pain used to our profit, in pursuit of God's perfection. We gain pain's power 
turned in our favor. And when that happens, we reap growth unimagined rather than having squandered the power of pain by its removal. As Paul puts it, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. God's plan does not involve the eradication of pain for the waste that such an action would cause. Why throw out something that produces so much growth in our life? Kenji Maezawa wrote, We must embrace pain and burn it as fuel for our journey. There is no question that pain is painful, sometimes devastatingly painful. Of course it's painful, but that's where the energy and the potential comes from. Pain is a precious resource, and instead of squandering that resource by simply removing it or deadening it, God inserts himself into the middle of all of mankind's sordid pain to use every ounce of its potential for our advantage. God did not eradicate pain. Rather, he subdued it, and he forged it into a tool that would forge us into his image. And if that's truly the case, then I want to step beyond my line of sight and into God's thousand horizons. I want to take his road, even if it takes turns that make no sense to me. I want to live out the reality that what I don't know has a vastly greater bearing on my life than what I do know. So, how do we actually act on the belief that there is a great purpose in great pain? How do we engage our pain in a manner that believes that God forges pain into a tool that forges us into his image? How do we see beyond our lines of sight and around the bends in the roads that we all walk? How do we, in the reality of all of this, how do we do that? How do we know that what we don't know has a vastly greater bearing on our lives than what we do know? How do we do that? So in this podcast, I only have time to share two very brief ideas with you that will help you begin to step out beyond your line of sight in your times of grief and loss, to embrace roads that take unexpected turns, to seize other horizons, to allow God to bring purpose in your pain. And by embracing these two concepts, you will begin to allow God to take your grief and loss and do great things with it. Now, to appreciate most things, you have to let them go. Some things become more precious by their absence. When you lose something, you grieve the loss, and the exercise of grief can be brutally hard. At the same time, appreciation for the thing that is lost is dramatically enhanced in a kind of give-and-take exchange. Somehow, making something temporal makes it precious. Life is not based on the holding of anything. In his work, Meditations, Mark Aurelius wrote, Loss is nothing else but change, and change is nature's delight. Holding on to something renders you captive to whatever that thing, or that place, or that time, or that person is. Life that is held is life that is stagnant. Life that is stagnant is not life. Life rolls on because it must, because it was designed that way. It's ever fresh, 
always bringing the resources of the past into the present in order to enrich the future. It's a process that's always moving, and we must move with it, embracing both the things that exit our lives as well as those that enter our lives. In addition, if we hold the past, we can't simultaneously seize the future. Our grasp will be directed in one place or the other. Our energies will be vested in holding on to misty mementos locked in an unalterable past. Or we can take a firm hold of a future that is unwritten and therefore entirely unencumbered. Letting go lets us grieve. It lets life do what God designed life to do. Letting go allows us to run in the natural currents of life, therefore resting in the fact that whatever the outcome, it will be good and right, because God is good and right. In Luke chapter 17, verse 33, Luke writes, If you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you'll lose it. But if you let that life go, you'll get it on God's terms. Releasing gives us the freedom to grieve. And it gives God the freedom to work in the pain in our lives for his purpose. Therefore, we must let go. But we not only need to let our losses go, we must also escort them to the next place that they're to go. That's a step that's terribly painful, but terribly rich. An unknown author wrote, Don't walk behind me. I may not lead. Don't walk in front of me. I may not follow. Just walk beside me and be my friend. We not only let go, but we escort our losses to the next place. We take the terribly selfless stance of letting go. And then moving the thing that we've let go of, we let it go to whatever place it's designed to go. To illustrate this point most effectively, I want to read a page out of my book. I want to paint a picture for you so that you can fully grasp this idea of escorting our losses to the next place. It reads, the call had come in the night. Mom was passing. They said that her heartbeat had softened and her breathing drifted ever shallower. The final goodbye was racing toward us, framed and counted not in days or even hours, but in mere minutes. Minutes remain the same length, whether they are held against the span of years or minutes themselves. Yet, when minutes are held against themselves, they seem so terribly brief. Minutes were all that was left. The assemblage of minutes would not be sufficient for us to arrive in time. She would pass minutes before we stepped in the door. However, Dad had spent the night recognizing this to likely be the last of over 50 years of nights with his wife. His own humility would preclude his ever disclosing his actions during those final minutes as they slipped by, draped in sullen shadows, both in the room and in his heart. The picture of Mom's passing was painted by a nurse who found something special in this moment. She had witnessed the passing of thousands, yet this turn of life unexpectedly pulled her heart tender and moved her to tears. In her own emotion, she drew us aside and etched with deep words 
those last moments, handing us in those few seconds a picture most remarkable. Peering into the room during those last minutes, she saw Dad's hand laid on Mom's chest, wanting desperately to feel the few last beats, hoping to carry away with him something of the last of her life to add to the bounty of what had been lived with her. There was desperation born of a heartfelt passion to grab even the slightest final thread to add one more facet to the massive tapestry woven over 50 years together. The nurse said that his eyes never left her, not for the briefest moment. He gently kissed her on the forehead over and over, loving her out of this life and into the next, sending with her the unmistakable message of his love and undying devotion. Trembling hands pressed upon hers. He loved her, and he prayed her into the kingdom. He did nothing out of greed or loss. There was no anger, no attention to the angst that ground his heart to parched powder. Inside, he was dying right along with her, while being left alive in his own emotional death to face life without her. There was no focus on any of these things. Neither did he pay attention to the horrendous loss that was raining into his life as an emotional downpour of torrential proportions. There was only the love of a simple man who escorted his wife into eternity in the finest, most unselfish manner that one can conceive, obediently handing her off to a God who is calling her home while temporarily leaving Dad here. It was all beautifully selfless. In the soft shadows, a husband released his wife with all the cost of doing so, suffocating and simultaneously rocking a gentle heart. Dad let it be so. His total focus was on escorting a beloved wife to the edge of this life, and allowing her to step over, leaving him on this side, terribly alone. I watched him raise himself immeasurably above himself, take his wife by the hand, and selflessly escort her out of this life into the next one. Awe swept over me, humbling me and stunning me all at once. Once she was fully escorted out of this life and his task was completed, he turned, bent over, and cried. We grieve most effectively when we accept our loss and then boldly take the extra and terribly selfless step of escorting our losses out of our lives and into the next. Escorting our losses demands a letting go of whatever was lost and foregoing the implications of that loss in order to set ourselves aside momentarily to escort that loss home. When faced with the enormity of such a task, it all seems impossibly impossible. It would even appear to border on the ridiculous, but it creates great space for God to do great things. There's an old Jewish proverb that says, I ask not for a lighter burden, 
but for broader shoulders. Escorting our losses frames the grieving process at the very outset in ways that lay precious and vital foundation for effective grieving and profound healing. It gives God space to do a great work in our lives by freeing us from that loss while allowing us the privilege of moving that loss forward. Now, I've suggested a number of thoughts in this podcast. I want to take a moment and pull them all together in a manner that hopefully drives home what I'm saying. To do that, let me leave you with this thought and this story. Back in my days as a youth pastor, an extremely insecure 16-year-old wandered into my youth group. She was one of those wounded souls, one of those desperately damaged people that you look at and wonder what, if any, hope exists for them. Over time, though, Wendy became something of a daughter. She never quite meshed with the rest of the kids in the youth group, but she gradually drifted toward me and eventually developed a deep connection that would impact both of our lives. Over the four years that we had, she grew, she matured, she came to Christ, she blossomed, she became vigorous, she set out to minister to other kids, she did the very thing that is so absolutely marvelous. She grew in ways that I could not have foreseen or even remotely imagined. Deep growth emerged from her deep pain. She blew past her line of sight and embraced a thousand horizons. When the road turned out of sight, she ran down it anyway. This young girl was transformed, literally transformed in ways that made her story a truly miraculous one. And then Wendy was diagnosed with cancer. Her journey over the months ahead was a painful one of surgeries, repeatedly failed treatments, deterioration that was sometimes slow and at other times frighteningly fast. Wendy died at the tender age of 21. On an airplane flying back from her funeral, a funeral that I had the privilege to speak at, I began an article that I published several years later. I would like to read a portion of that article to you as I close out this podcast. It reads, She was 19 when the doctor clipped the x-ray onto the fluorescent panel in front of her. Even to the untrained eye, it was unmistakable. Like a venomous snake coiling its slithering body around its victim, cancer had wrapped its cold hands around her esophagus and thrust its pointed fingers deep into her lungs. Cancer was laying claim to her life. Her name was Wendy. Sitting in the waiting room only a few feet away, I was about to share in a journey that would impact my own journey forever. At that moment, in a darkened room a few steps away, with the black and misty gray shadows of that x-ray playing back across her face, Wendy's world stopped. Staring into the shades of gray and black, her entire existence imploded, suddenly becoming the sum total of that one muddled gray x-ray that silently screamed the awful reality. The doctor took down the x-ray, held it for a moment, and walked away. Months of treatment passed. 
nights of wrenching pain when chemotherapy brought convulsions as it coursed through her body with its poison seeking out the cancer. Cold, hard tables upon which she laid as beams of invisible radiation were shot into her body, leaving her without hair and terribly emaciated from its cruel side effects. Tremors and vomiting, deep hopelessness and disabling helplessness. The effort to save her became worse than the dying that she sought to avoid. Finally, the efforts of man played themselves out placing her beyond the technology of men and at the mercy of cancer's cold hands and pointed fingers. However, God is splendidly unpredictable. In one remarkable moment, he used the ugliness of cancer to birth a vision in her life. In his loving and perfect wisdom, he laid his hand on her dying body not to heal it, but to place a picture in her mind that would birth a far greater healing. It was not a beautiful picture at all, but for Wendy, it was the perfect picture. It was the image of the x-ray that had cast its gray shadows on her face and her life so many months earlier. Slowly, she began to see the world in that x-ray. Not the cancer that it revealed so profoundly, but the color. Much like that x-ray, she saw the world as filled with misty grays and blotches of black. The x-ray had no depth, no vibrancy, no brilliant hues. She realized that a world without Christ was veiled with those very same colors. Her life was not something stolen by this disease. It was the disease that showed her how much sin had stolen from the world and how gray it had left it all. Wendy was an extremely gifted artist. She realized that this artistic gift had been given precisely for this moment. Weak and emaciated, she gathered her brushes, assembled her paints, and pulled her weakening body up to an easel. With one arm rendered completely useless due to prolonged radiation treatments, she took her one good arm put her brush to canvas. Each painful stroke was filled with the compulsion to leave her world something of beauty, something that would lift out the brilliant colors that God has placed in her soul and splash them across the canvas for all to see. For those last two months, she painted prolifically. I often sat beside her as she created works of art that had a life to them that defied the death that was quickly overtaking her. She painted in a prolific mix of rich colors and beautiful tones. I sat and watched her pour into her paintings the very life force that she was losing. The last painting that she began was never finished. The artist was to succumb to the cold hands of cancer before the piece was completed. It was a serene sketch of two Canadian geese smoothly breaking the mirrored surface of a lake. It was a painting that was full of potential and rich with possibility. However, it will never be finished. The life of the artist from which it sprung was spent before it could be given over to the painting. Today this office painting sits in my office, forever uncompleted as it should be. 
It reminds me of the millions of lives around me that are gray, lifeless, and flat. Often the deathly gray appearance of many of the lives that I encounter would lead me to believe that there is no hope of color. Today this painting sits in my office, forever uncompleted as it should be. It reminds me of the millions of lives around me that are gray, lifeless, and flat. Often the deathly gray appearance of the many lives that I encounter would lead me to believe that there is no hope for color. Yet, this unfinished painting reminds me that each of those lives is full of potential and rich with possibility, just like that painting and the artist from whose soul it sprung. You see, pain is one of God's brushes. It's a way that he brings completion to our lives. It's a way that he brings color and depth and deep hues and brilliancy and vibrancy, if we let it. There is great purpose and great pain. My many journeys, mom being one and Wendy being another and a whole host of losses and pains, some horrendous and some less than horrendous, so many that I don't have the time to go into, are all things that I would much prefer to do without, but are all things through which God has done his most remarkable work. Remember, there is great purpose in great pain. Indeed, there is remarkable purpose in your pain. Thank you for joining us for Life Talk. For further information or additional resources, please visit www.craiglpc.com.